From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Attack on one is an attack on all, and we will defend every inch of NATO territory. You know, as I mentioned, we're looking into these reports, don't have any information to corroborate them at this time, so I don't want to speculate or get into hypotheticals. As President Biden made clear, we will defend every inch of NATO territory if required. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective. From D.C.'s top names. I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? That's a three-time loser. I think that this election was the funeral for the Republican Party as we know it. I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Russian rockets reportedly hit Poland. So now what? Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the U.S. and NATO allies meet to consider the path forward. Waiting to learn more about what happened today, we'll have the unique perspective of the former Secretary of Defense, Mark Esper, on the Pentagon's next steps. And as the Polish president calls for a National Security Council meeting, we will talk with Melinda Haring of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine. With the aftermath of the midterm elections now setting off a leadership battle in the Senate, and Donald Trump preparing his big announcement for tonight, we'll discuss all of these stories with our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano. The Pentagon is treading very carefully around this story from Poland today as the Associated Press reports Two Russian missiles crossed the Ukrainian border into Poland, killing two people. Pentagon spokesman Brigadier General Pat Ryder. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, right now, uh, we are aware of the press reporting on this. Uh, we have no information at this time to corroborate those reports, but again, are, are taking them seriously and looking into them. And so um, I will make sure that we provide you with any updates as soon as we have them. And we've been waiting. The news prompted, though, an emergency meeting of leaders in Poland with Warsaw now considering invoking Article 4 of the NATO treaty, which brings consultation with allies to raise concerns about national security. A step away, of course, from a a possible Article 5 response, which is what everyone today has been asking about. When it comes to our security commitments uh, and Article 5, we've been crystal clear that we will defend every inch of NATO territory. That's uh, Brigadier General Pat Ryder once again, echoing the words of the president, right, President Biden, just a couple of months ago. Attack on one is an attack on all, and we will defend every inch of NATO territory. Or the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin. As President Biden made clear, we will defend every inch of NATO territory if required. Every inch. And we're making good on that, pro- on that promise. Every inch. But what if it was an accident? What if NATO decides it's, it's more dangerous to respond militarily? What if Poland doesn't ask for help? We are facing some big questions tonight, and that's why we're lucky to have former Secretary of Defense Mark Esper Back with us on Sound On, author of the book Sacred Oath. Mr. Secretary, welcome back. We understand that 
President Biden has spoken with President Duda. We also know National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has gotten on the phone with the chief of Poland's National Security Bureau. Bring us behind the scenes into what's happening right now. Well, Joe, first of all, great to be with you uh, on, on this important day. So I think, you know, behind the scenes, uh, the Secretary of Defense uh, is having conversations with his counterpart as well. I think the critical thing is to understand what the polls know and what they don't know. Uh, based on the forensics on the ground as they look at the wreckage of the uh, of the missiles, uh, to compare radar tracks, if you will, to, to, to try and figure out the uh, point of origination, and then to kind of get in their, their head with regard to where the government is thinking, what the government is thinking, as we weigh out responses. My suspicion is that this was an, an accidental um, yeah. uh, firing uh, caused by either poor targeting or a malfunction by one of the Russian missiles. Hmm. But we need to go through a deliberate process, investigate it out, and come to the facts before we draw any conclusions. If we do conclude that it was an accident, does that mean no military response, or, or is, is it not that easy? Well, I, I, look, accidents happen. Uh, United States has created accidents in the past. If you recall the, the shooting down of an Iranian jetliner uh, decades yeah. ago by a U.S. Navy ship, and there have been other accidents in the past. I don't mm-hmm. see it as a reason to go to war, but it's certainly a reason for us to demand a full explanation from the Russians, to uh, demand some type of uh, actions that they plan to take to make sure this doesn't happen again, and to continue to warn them that we will defend uh, NATO territory from attack. Should the president be saying every inch, that that line that we've heard repeatedly, and, and he's even said, you know, whether it's on purpose or not, or have, have we gone too far to draw that red line without allowing for some flexibility over you know, a potential screw-up like this one? Well, I think it's important to be resolute. You're sending a message uh, to at least two audiences, one, Russia, and number two, the allies. You're going to re- reassure the frontline states, the Baltics, Poland, etc., that we will be there to defend them. But you, you have to balance that out with a message to all the players and the American people that we need to get to the bottom of this first, and we need to sort out whether it was an accident or intentional. And Intentionality makes a big difference here, uh, particularly when you're talking about possibly escalating the conflict and and injecting NATO into it. When you read, actually read the Article 5, it refers to action as deemed necessary, Mr. Secretary, including the use of armed force to restore security, implying that that's an option, one of potentially several options that uh, the allies have to uh, to do this, even if it was on purpose. That does not guarantee a military response, right? No, that's right. A lot of people misread Article 5 to, to believe that it's just an automatic reaction military response. And frankly, what it means is that the decision has to go back to uh, national capitals for decision first, and right. then consultation among the allies within the within NATO. So it's it's not automatic, and they can consider a full range of responses and, and I believe if this was an accident, that the appropriate response would be a, a diplomatic one. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, we should consider what additional actions we should take, NATO should take, to uh, safeguard from a, something similar happening in the future. So do we uh, put more air defenses in along the Polish border, for example? Uh, should we accelerate, as I've been arguing for some time now, accelerate the provision of air defense assets to Ukraine so that this doesn't happen? Think about how far this Russian missile would have had to travel across Ukraine to pass into the Polish border. 
uh, th- there were numerous opportunities to shoot this thing down. Wow. And so I think we, it, it, it's a call to accelerate the provision of air defenses to Ukraine as well, not least of which because they've been suffering under air and missile attacks from the Russians now for months. You said a couple of important things there. And I do want to go back and point out the fact that you're right. President Biden would have to seek uh, uh, congressional approval to act on this militarily, right, as opposed to responding to an attack on our own country. So that's number one. And two, to your point about missile defenses, how does this impact the debate? If we can call it a debate, to be fair, around Ukraine funding, war funding going into the new year with a new Congress. Well, uh, look, the air defenses are desperately needed. We've known this for months. Uh, I think we've moved too slowly and, and with not enough, not just the United States, but our allies as well. It, we know at this point in time, given the, the tactical victories on the ground being achieved by the Ukrainians, that the Russians are now resorting to these air missile attacks and drone attacks, by the way, too, provided by Iran, yeah. to uh, knock out the Ukrainian infrastructure so that it becomes a very tough winter for them, for the Ukrainians, and they try to break their will. So this is why I've been arguing that we need to provide the Ukrainians the means to, to defend themselves. And I just don't know why... Uh, NATO, the United States, our allies have been moving too slow on this front. We're spending time with Mark Esper, former defense secretary. Mark, when when the administration does know uh, what actually happened here, does the president speak, uh, even if it's from the G20 in Bali? And does does this actually help him being with all of these uh, fellow leaders? He's basically got a NATO meeting at breakfast today. Well, the United States is the clear leader of NATO, the clear leader of the free world. I think it's important for the president once he understands the facts and comes to a conclusion and consults, by the way, with his his uh, fellow leaders, particularly uh, Poland and, um, and of course, the NATO Secretary General, that he explains to the American people uh, what we know and, and what it means. But it's it, we, we need to understand what's happening. We need to know the way ahead. We need some reassurance yep. that, um, uh, that Washington has this under control. Uh, we were uh, asking questions earlier about force protection. Brigadier General Pat Ryder, as I mentioned, was uh, briefing reporters at the Pentagon earlier. Here's what he said. We always take uh, the safety and security of our troops, no matter where they're serving, very seriously. And so we're we're very confident in any force protection measures that we take, uh, whether it be Poland or elsewhere. You made the point uh, earlier here that this missile had to travel some distance or these missiles to where they were going. Do we need to, to have better countermeasures just to protect our own forces, never mind the border of Poland? We've got tens of thousands of additional troops over there now, right? What force protection do we have? Well, I assume that, uh, you know, where there are congregations of U.S. forces, particularly on bases or Polish bases, that they are well protected from the ground um, and, and more importantly from the air with uh, U.S. air defense systems supplemented, complemented by Polish air defense systems. So, uh, I, I don't worry as much about the bases. Uh, what you have to worry about is, is again, these. Uh, if it's an accident, uh, missiles falling in in areas that we wouldn't expect. In this case, from what we're told, it was it fell into a, a farming area, a community, a very small community, which which adds to uh, the suspicion that it was an accident uh, more than anything else. So, right. but look, force protection always has to be taken into account. And at this point in time, given that this seems to be the resort of the Russians to fire drones and missiles and artillery and in many cases randomly, uh, to terrorize the Ukrainian people, we have to be doubly on guard with regard to force protection and, and, and where the spillover could occur. I think I know what your answer is going to be, but does this end the argument about whether they should send the MiGs to Ukraine? 
Uh, I, we should have sent the MiGs months ago. We should be uh, pushing the Germans and others to provide tanks. And we should accelerate air defenses and, and anti-ship missiles. All this stuff should have been provided. It, it, we could foresee all this happening. And so uh, I don't know why we continue to hesitate to do these things. And so, uh, yes, uh, by this time we could have trained uh, the, the Ukrainian pilots and they would have been ready to go and they could have shot down these systems. What presumably. a thought. What a thought. Mark, thank you for sharing your insights with us. To your point, on a very important day, Mark Esper, the former Secretary of Defense, getting things moving on the fastest hour in politics. We'll assemble the panel next to hear from Jeannie and Rick. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Reports coming in from Poland today that, as you were just hearing on Bloomberg Sound On, a couple of Russian missiles hit NATO territory, landed in Poland, killed two people. May reframe the debate surrounding funding for Ukraine. It certainly came up today. In a newly awakened Capitol Hill, lawmakers are back in town. Senator Mitch McConnell, still minority leader, was asked about it. On on Ukraine, I'm a robust uh, supporter of Ukraine. We need to get them what they need to continue to fight this war. I think they have the capacity to win it, particularly if we give them what they need. We'll have more later on a test to his leadership this hour. But let's assemble our panel. Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us. Our signature panel, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Jeannie, does it reframe the argument around funding here with some Republicans primarily, and but also some progressive Democrats as well, making some noise, becoming a little more restless uh, as we approach the end of the year when it comes to sending tens of billions more to Ukraine? Yeah, it should reframe the argument, but the reality is it really shouldn't have to reframe it. The biggest surprise about what happened today is that it didn't happen before. The Russians have been shooting missiles in this area, and they had, what, 90 missiles that came in aimed towards the infrastructure, the electrical infrastructure in Ukraine. And regardless of whether this was an accident or whether it was on purpose, the shock here is it didn't happen before. Anybody in Congress who doesn't realize that and is prepared to maybe cut funding or or have a discussion about that at this point really hasn't been paying attention to what's been going on. So it shouldn't reframe it, but it probably will. The nightly address uh, from President Zelensky, Rick, was, uh, you can imagine, fairly dramatic. He asked, how many times has Ukraine said that the terrorist state will not stop on our country? It's only a matter of time, he said, before Russian terror goes further. Is that true or is this just a dumb move, a, a mistake by Vladimir Putin? Well, I think there's a legitimate concern that Putin's brandishing all these weapons across, you know, uh, Ukraine, one, has the potential of causing an accident. This is the problem when you 
put on a war like Putin has with you know, the lack of lethality that he's been able to do. He has no idea half the time probably where these missiles are going. So the idea that they somehow can deny this without, you know, uh, uh, being found to be uh, at, at risk, at fault, um, is is nuts. Um, 90 missiles were launched yesterday. This is one of or two of those missiles. Uh, all the way across the country, um, uh, Ukraine was successful at shooting down 70 of them. But uh, yeah, wow. Vladimir Putin doesn't have control of his troops. He doesn't really know what's happening on the ground. Uh, and the idea that somehow uh, this doesn't spread uh, to a broader war uh, mm-hmm. is, I think, naive on people's part. Because uh, I think there's a part of Putin's political calculus that says he's got to be even tougher than he's been. You know, he's got he doesn't have problems on the left. He knows those. He has problems on the right. There are right-wing advisors and leaders in Russia who don't think Putin's doing enough. And to some degree, maybe this mollifies them because Putin will be able to say potentially, "Hey, I shot these two missiles into into Poland and NATO did nothing." Wait, it sounds to me like a response might be necessary whether or not it was an accident is that your point yeah uh, i i don't think we can tolerate russia shooting 90 missiles into ukraine one right yeah. that is absolutely inappropriate he's what he's doing is what you mentioned earlier he's knocking out all the power so he can freeze the ukrainian population that is not war uh in in a traditional sense well, so what's the what's the response I think the response has got to be beef up everything that we're doing in the Ukraine and and increase the global pressure on Russia. And that means secondary sanctions. That means, you know, targeting new industries within Russia. I mean, there are a lot more we can do. And I think we've kind of taken our foot off the gas pedal. How close are we to World War III then here, uh, Jeannie? Uh, You know, a, a response could be interpreted in a lot of different ways by Vladimir Putin, obviously. It could. I mean, Vladimir Putin is threatened at home. There, There is a school of thought which says that, you know, we need to be thinking about providing him some kind of face-saving off-ramp because otherwise he could feel threatened internally and maybe do something like launch a nuclear attack. So that's a reality. The other reality is the United States and NATO, we've been trying to limit this war to Ukraine. We see that that's going to be a lot tougher to do at this point. Mm-hmm. And that's where this concern about, say, World War Three comes about. But in the meantime, Meantime, civilian populations in the Ukraine are under attack. I mean, Rick was just talking about it. They're attempting to completely disable the electrical grid as they yeah. head into doing winter. doing a good job at it. They are destroying an entire civilization. And that is a really, really something that's got to be addressed. And, you know, these were two, uh, you know, two deaths, really unfortunate. Look at the number in Ukraine. Do you worry, you're absolutely right, do you worry about r- drawing red lines here, uh, Jeannie, this term has come up a number of times, remembering Barack Obama in Syria. When you think about Joe Biden, every inch, no matter what, is that good or or bad geopolitics right now? It's dangerous because he has been unequivocal. You have played all the quips, all the quips, all the clips, rather. And he has said that as have his advisors. And the question is now, did he mean every single inch only if it wasn't an accident? If it is an accident, is it still (laughs) every single inch? This is the problem. Yeah, it's a dangerous game to play. He's right. He should be unequivocal in that, but they've got to mean it. And that's, you know, what we're waiting to hear. How do we respond? And do they feel that, you know, accident means that this is excused in some way? Is a red line? dangerous here rick or necessary i like red lines as long as you back them up yeah well that's a whole different conversation 
Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano, stay with us for the hour, our signature panel, as we continue our conversation about some of the very difficult decisions that are coming. Melinda Herring of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine is here next. This is Bloomberg. So it's 6.30 in the morning right now in Bali, where, of course, President Biden is waking up along with the heads of the other G20 nations there for the big summit this week, where the war in Ukraine has been a massive topic. It was a topic yesterday when President Biden met with President Xi from China. It was a topic today when Bloomberg News spoke with John Kirby, spokesman, of course, for the White House National Security Council. While talking about China, you cannot avoid the war in Ukraine. China hasn't condemned the war. Uh, they haven't stopped buying Russian oil. Uh, they haven't provided any military equipment, uh, but, but clearly uh, they haven't come out as forcefully as the rest of the international community in really condemning this war. That, by the way, was just a couple of hours before the headlines broke from Poland about the apparently stray missiles. Is that what we're calling them? That killed two people in Poland. We're joined by Melinda Herring, glad to say, the deputy director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine, back with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. Melinda, it's great to have you with us. How likely do you think this is a mistake? At this point, we don't know. And it's it's early days. Everyone's trying to figure out what happened. So it may have the Russians may have overshot and they may have intended to hit Poland. Or uh, it's possible that that uh, the Ukrainians tried to shoot this, th- these Russian uh, missiles down and their air defenses landed in Poland. We simply don't know. And everyone's trying to gather information right now. So we're trying to be careful as well. Uh, when you consider, though, the environment that President Biden is in right now, uh, is is this not the best possible scenario for him to be surrounded by our NATO allies at this very moment? Look, it's not bad. I, I don't think anyone expects I- anything monumental to come out of the G20. I certainly yeah. don't. The big themes at the G20 were energy security and food security, and Vladimir Putin didn't even bother to show up. And both of those issues revolve around him, and he is the decision maker in Russia. So, you know, it, it's good that he's near some of our allies and he can make phone calls and have conversations easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, I, I don't see any headlines coming out of the G20, any real ones. So he needs to come home meet with military officials and so on. Is that your point? We know Jake Sullivan was speaking with his counterpart in Poland. The Pentagon, though, is being very careful about what comes next. We're not we're not at Article five yet. We're technically not even at Article four as Poland considers opening the conversation. That's right. So we know that President Biden just got off the phone with President Duda in Poland, and the polls are supposed to put out a statement very soon. But I, I think you're right that that uh, everyone is looking at Article 4 for consultations to sit down and talk about what the proper response is right now. Uh, and, and hopefully a meeting will be forthcoming. The Ukrainians, Dmitry Kaleva, the foreign minister, has put some statements out on social media, and he's asking He's asking for uh, a NATO conference that would include Ukraine, and he's urging the West to send air defense systems and to send F-16s and F-15s as soon as possible. You think that'll happen? No. No, I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, Look, the the White House, our White House is not willing to give uh, long-range rockets. There's no way that they're going to to, uh, agree to greenlight jets. They they already poo-pooed this idea, you know, months and months ago. right. Never mind the MIGs that they already know how to fly. Exactly. When you hear uh, when you hear Moscow using uh, the term deliberate provocation, when you're done chuckling, do you assume that that means the opposite of what you're reading? 
Normally, yes. Nor- normally, normally you do. Yeah, but I, I, you know what? The the Russians are also saying now. You know, I, I don't think the Russians want to go to war with NATO. They realize they're going to get their butts kicked. So Russia's official line <laughs> is that it's Ukrainian air defense since it's too far for Russian S three hundreds. Let's let's wait and see. Uh, you know, it, we don't know yet, uh, and we need to be judicious because if the Russians did indeed intend to hit Poland, uh, um. this conflict between Russia and Ukraine uh, will get out of hand, and no one wants that. Melinda, what should the administration be telling lawmakers or maybe already telegraphing to Chuck Schumer? And I guess at some point it'll be to to the speaker. And, and it looks like that'll be Kevin McCarthy. We need more money. How much more will we need this year? I don't have a figure for you, but I can tell you what needs to be sent. Ukraine needs air defense systems as soon as possible. And Ukraine's infrastructure is very, very vulnerable. We saw this today. Russia sent 100 missiles and hit a number of targets across the country. And Ukraine is very cold uh, and very dark tonight. And the situation is only going to get worse if the United States and our Western allies, Ukraine's Western allies, uh, don't provide these air defense systems. So that's one. Another point, though, is long-range rockets would make a big difference. And we've seen the HIMARS systems have a huge influence on the battlefield already. So let's do it now. Everyone wants peace. No one wants this war to continue, least of all Ukrainians. The best way to end this war is to send all of the heavy equipment and the arms that the Ukrainians are sending are, are requesting now. But that's not enough. Uh, we also need to talk about budget support. You, uh, our Congress has been amazing, Joe. Our Congress has sent $8.5 billion with a B to Ukraine to provide budget support, which sounds so boring and unsexy. But what this means, it's money for pensions, it's money for schools, it's for hospitals, and it's for railways. And that's what's keeping the state afloat. And the EU is a laggard. The EU promised $9 billion with a B, and only sent three. The Germans are are sitting on their hands, and they won't authorize more money. Uh, So that's a a big problem. But we also need to be thinking about winter and authorizing additional uh, assistance packages so that people don't freeze to death, because it's really cold. I love talking to you. Come in here and talk to us in studio next time. Okay, Melinda Herring, you're, you, well, you do really important work there, and I appreciate your bringing it to our listeners. The Deputy Director of the Atlantic Council's Eurasia Center on Ukraine. Uh, who could say it better? She's actually st- sounding a little bit like Rick Davis. With only 30 seconds left, Rick, it's time to send the kitchen sink. Yeah, go big or go home. And I think the point she's making is right. Let's get NATO into this. Let's get Europe backing them as much as we are. We've got friends. Let's take them to work. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano will be back. We'll reassemble the panel and look ahead to a big night at Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, Trump's going for it, apparently. We also have to talk about the leadership struggle on Capitol Hill. It's been dicey today inside the bubble. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as simple like as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal wherever you get your podcasts. And watch on Bloomberg Originals, Bloomberg Television, or BTV+. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. 
It appears Kevin McCarthy will be the person to hold the gavel if Republicans close the deal, and that could happen any minute. One seat away from calling the House for the GOP. And indeed, House Republicans re-elected Kevin McCarthy as their leader. Today, this sets up the full vote. But dissent among conservatives remains a hurdle, as I read on the terminal, for him claiming the gavel when the GOP takes charge, as expected. He got votes from 188 Republicans in what was a closed party leadership election, according to two people in the room, a conservative who challenged him. We talked about Andy Biggs. He got 31 votes. Just don't tell Matt Gates. Right now, there are a lot of the establishment Republicans in denial, believing that Kevin McCarthy can somehow still become speaker. What I'm here to tell you is there are definitely at least five people, actually a lot more than that, five? who would rather be waterboarded by Liz Cheney than vote for <laughs> Kevin McCarthy for Speaker of the House. And spent, I'm one of them. Okay, Matt Gates of Florida. He spent time rehearsing that one, right? waterboarded by Liz Cheney. So it didn't turn out quite well. Maybe, look, maybe five did vote no. After all, Andy Biggs got 31. So that's done now. At least we put that on the back burner as we wait for the House to be called. On the Senate side, we've got a little leadership battle there, too, as I read on the terminal. GOP's Scott to challenge McConnell amid midterm blame game. Yeah, Senator Rick Scott. Of course, Mitch McConnell was asked about it the minute he walked in the hallway. Well, look, I don't own this job. Um, anybody in the conference is certainly entitled to challenge me, and uh, I welcome the contest. By the way, Rick Scott uh, was on Bloomberg News earlier today when he was asked about, you know, Donald Trump was the big story. He's going to be announcing the big campaign for tonight. He says he's only got one focus. Right well, now. first off, I'm focused on making sure we win Georgia. Uh, I'm focused on making sure that we solve the problems up here. And I think it looks like there's going to be a lot of people interested in running in 2024. Um, I don't know if President Trump will announce today he's running, but it seems like a lot of people will, will watch it as it happens. But, you know, my belief is voters are going to choose. Well, it turns out Rick Scott is running for the leadership. We'll challenge Mitch McConnell in a closed-door meeting tomorrow. Let's reassemble the panel. Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano are here. Bloomberg Politics contributors. This is part of the joy of... Coming off this election for Democrats, Jeannie, is watching this leadership fight, even if we know or think we know how it's going to end. McConnell says he's got the votes, but this wouldn't be happening right now if things didn't go the way they did last Tuesday, right? Yeah, we've got a few senators who, who like Matt Gates, would apparently rather be waterboarded than support that the leading candidate. And the, among them, not just Rick Scott, but Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, yeah. all coming out and making statements saying what we've been doing hasn't been working. We need new leadership. And so hence, you know, Rick Scott making this run. You know, it looks like McConnell will withstand the fight, but it, it does set up, you know, a really, really tough Thanksgiving family meal for the Republicans as they head into the holidays. God Mitch knows. McConnell, though, saying that he has the votes to get this to pull this through and i'm sure you know he wouldn't say that if he didn't uh, right rick you know mitch mcconnell pretty well and he's there's a reason why he has uh, been the leader for so long josh hawley is probably not going to be the one to change that or rick scott for that matter yeah you could tell even by the clip you played as he said yeah anybody can run against me <laughs> you know i mean like he almost enjoys killing off other republicans um look i mean like you take yourself out of the moment i mean rick scott's job was to elect a majority 
right? And and, right. and he started by saying he was going to cut Medicare and Social Security. Brilliant move. Uh, that didn't slow <laughs> us down a bit. And then he says today on Bloomberg, which I think this is the most important quote of the week, which is, it wasn't that we had bad candidates. It right. was that we had bad intensity. So blame the voters for the mistakes you made on <laughs> recruitment. I mean, I just, I mean, anybody who watches this play out knows that, you know, it's like Jeannie said, if you're at Thanksgiving and you've got your family all around, mm -hmm. these are the crazy cousins you put at the end of the table. So wow. nobody talks to them. That's saying a lot about Rick Scott. L listen to Josh Hawley, by the way. This is Hawley uh, pulled aside by a couple reporters in the corridor. He said he will not, it was specific, will not vote for Mitch McConnell. And he went on. I think that this election was the funeral for the Republican Party as we know it. The Republican Party, is, as we have known it, is dead. And voters have made that clear. And in particular, the folks who did not vote for Republicans in this last election were independent voters, working class independent voters, folks who voted for President Obama, uh, once upon a time, folks who then voted for President Trump, but stayed home this time. We are not a majority party unless we can appeal to those voters. So he's having a funeral for your Republican Party, Rick. Does that mean that he would be the one to rebuild it? Yeah, but the people who lost were Josh Hawley's guys. I mean, uh -huh. like, this is the, the MAGA wing of the party that he represents. It's a fringe element, and I think the voters made that selection loud and clear we do not want people like this in the united states senate and so i think josh holly ought to look in the mirror and say yeah maybe we aren't picking the right kind of candidates that part of the party if you believe josh holly is dead great then you can have a new part of the party that maybe represents a broader majority that can win elections or maybe tonight at mar-a-lago Genie will be like that hand that comes out of the water at the end of the horror movie. In order to make our country successful and safe and glorious, I will very, very, very probably do it again, okay? He may have had a fourth fairy in one of those lines. Genie, this is happening apparently regardless of what Republicans around him are saying, which is at least wait until the Georgia runoff. Yeah, they're begging for him to wait, but I like what Ken Griffin said. He called him a three-time loser. That he was can, pretty, yeah, pretty he, and he he is, and he can very, very, very whatever he wants. But this is a disaster <laughs> for Republicans. And you know, all Democrats have to do is just imagine that you know Josh Hawley, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, they seem to be working for the Democratic Party because it's hard to imagine that somebody like Katie Hobbs wins in a place like Arizona unless they are nominating the craziest among them. And so this has been a boon for Democrats, not because Democrats were incredibly successful or voters were very happy with what was happening in the country, but because Republicans are nominating crazy candidates. And McConnell was right on that. And I'm no big fan of Mitch McConnell, but you got to give him credit early on. He said candidates matter. They do. Yeah. Donald Trump endorsed these candidates. And it's been a disaster for Republicans ever since. That line from Ken Griffin was something, Rick. That's, of course, the CEO of Citadel who moved from Chicago to Florida. Listen. He lost in 2020. We lost Georgia because of his behavior in the Senate race in 2020. That's a second loss. And then this year, the Republicans lost the Senate because the Trump backed candidates in the Senate races were rejected by American voters. That's a three time loser. And I'd like to think that the Republican Party is ready to move on from somebody who's been for this party a three time loser. Rick, most of us would have, you know, gone back to bed if they were talking about us. But I hear that three time loser. And that's that's just the kind of thing that energizes Donald Trump. That makes him want to announce tonight, doesn't it? 
Uh, it doesn't dissuade him. I don't think he really cares about anybody else but himself, right? In the sense of like, what am I going to do? Well, yeah, King Griffin says I'm a loser. That's going <laughs> to stop me from running for president. No, nah, no, nah, probably not likely. Well, make him want to do it more. I do think he loves the media. He loves to be seen in the media and even sometimes, you know, angrily. But when things like the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal and, and Fox turn against him, that, I think, does have an impact because that is how he gets his message out. Yeah. Uh, and he doesn't have to pay for it. He can use their budgets. And, and without that available, and I think basically Rupert Murdoch said, said the same thing, which is we're done with you, Trump. Um, uh, I think he's going to have a lot of trouble. And if anything, we'll slow him down and make him think that mm-hmm. will. Mm-hmm. Well, this other, this other guy he was uh, serving with in the White House, his name is Mike Pence, out with not one but two televised interviews last night, the first ABC, then, then he went on to talk to Hannity. By the way, if you look at the contrast of those sets, you know, they're like this dark, smoky room on ABC. You can hardly see each other. Hannity's like a 7-Eleven. All the lights are on, the fluorescent light. Anyway, Mike Pence asked the big question by David Muir. Did I get that right on the rules? David, yeah. David, here we go. Given all that you witnessed in the Capitol on that day, this is a pretty straightforward question, a yes or a no. Do you believe that Donald Trump should ever be president again? Plain and simple. There you go. David, I think that's up to the American people. (laughs) But I think we'll have better choices in the future. Okay, better choices. But why not just say no about the guy who wanted to have you killed, Rick? Yeah, why not just say no? I mean, like, why finesse it? Uh, You know, I couldn't understand that interview because it's almost like he wanted to, you know, make a definitive statement. But he just couldn't bring himself to doing it, you know. And mm. so we, we are left to fill in the blanks. And, you know, it's, it's not the profile of courage I was looking for. Then we heard from Ron DeSantis today, Jeannie. He actually responded to some of the stuff he's been hearing from Donald Trump, who claims to have rescued his political career. And coming off the elections last week, here's how the governor of Florida put it. All that's just noise. And really what matters is, are you leading? Are you getting in front of issues? Uh, Are you delivering results for people? And are you standing up for folks? And if you do that, then none of that stuff matters. And and that's what we've done. We focused on results and leadership. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I would just uh, tell people to go check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. Check out the scoreboard from last Tuesday night. We just put Katie Hobbs on that scoreboard as well, Jeannie. Donald Trump must be climbing the walls today. He's got to be. But you notice there, Ron DeSantis still not calling out Trump directly. And, you know, we have to remember what compels Trump to run in 2015, 2016, in large part that 2011 attack by Barack Obama on him at the White House Correspondents Center. Those attacks matter to him. Ken Griffin will matter a lot to him. It's just he can't take it. Rick Davis, thank you. Jeannie, thank you as well. Jeannie Shanzano, they make up our signature panel on the fastest hour in politics. The speech is at 9. We'll watch it together virtually. Pop your corn. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CutterEconomicForum.com.